Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Picking Up Rubber. I am your host, Justin Russo, and it's been a while since we've uh, been here talking about Formula One, but I'm happy to jump back into it. There's a lot of ground we have to cover. We're going to touch on some of the previous races a little bit, and then mostly going to focus on what just happened in Japan this past weekend. So if you like the show, if you're new here, just give it a little follow down there on social media. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, and let's uh, just jump right into the news. So first of all, touching on some of the previous races that we've had that I wasn't able to cover. You look at the Netherlands. Max Verstappen gets his second straight home win at Zandvoort. Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes really fumbled the bag on that one. They had the lead. They had the strategy all right until they decided not to bring Lewis Hamilton into the pits. He was caught out on the safety car restart. Max Verstappen goes on and picks up the win there. And then you look to Italy the week after. I mean, Max just dominates that race. He charges through the field after an engine penalty and just, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't even a contest for a lot of the race. And it ended under caution, which wasn't great ended under safety car but he still got the win he earned that win wholeheartedly I mean he was dominant that whole day which has been the theme of Max Verstappen this season I mean there are a lot of races this year where he just straight up dominates and nobody can touch him and some weekends it's uh, it's been Ferrari throwing throwing it away a little bit but for the most part I mean Max Verstappen has a lot of weekends where he's dominating and another one happening in Japan this past weekend we'll get to and then of course Singapore the win streak comes to an end he was looking to chase down Sebastian Vettel's nine-race win, uh, nine win streak, that is, uh, that Sebastian Vettel set in 2013. Wasn't able to do it. I think he'll be okay with where he stands right now. Max had an interesting qualifying session. The team decided, you know, they didn't like the first push lap that he did, so he boarded that one, looking like he was going to get pole on that second push lap, and they bring him in because they don't have enough fuel in the car. So just a lot of, a lot of messy things going on. I felt like Ferrari that weekend for Red Bull is one of their rare mistakes that they've had in, in the year that really has cost Max a chance at a win or a pole or something of that nature. He just really couldn't get it going in, in the wet. You know, it was a start on enters. It was just a tough race for him. Tried to make a few overtakes. You know, he had had a couple. Had one with Lando Norris where he just totally outbraked himself and he just went right onto the uh, runoff area. Just a rough day for Max overall. And Checo ends up picking up the win, so Red Bull still... Flying high, Checo picks up the win, he holds off Leclerc, and that's going to be something that we'll talk about here with Japan just in a moment, too. A lot of great battles in that race, even though it was a little shorter because of the rain, but uh, yeah, a lot to get into. But first, have to address some of the things that have gone on off the track, too. I mean, you look at the driver market, you look at the cost cap issues, I mean, there's a lot to go over, so so let's just get into that real quick. Last time I, I made a podcast here, we were talking about the move from, from Fernando Alonso, how he was leaving Alpine and transitioning over to Aston Martin. And the chain reaction that kind of kind of had Oscar Piastri ends up at McLaren. Danny Ricardo is out of a seat. There was a bunch of seats up for grabs. Now less so, only a couple left. But let's start with the big one. Pierre Gasly going to Alpine, French driver to a French team. And you felt that coming for Pierre Gasly. I mean, he had his chance at Red Bull just wasn't his time for whatever reason he couldn't get under the car he was making mistakes and it's hard to face Max Verstappen one-on-one I mean you gotta face it it takes I mean the last two guys that have really put it to Max and been able to keep up with him Daniel Ricciardo and and Sergio Perez and both of those guys are veteran drivers at least they were at the time they're in Red Bull and they're just able to handle that kind of pressure I mean Checo did not really have an amazing 2021 of course he picked up the win and uh you know in Baku but it just, he could ne- never really match the qualifying pace of Max, and, and things just weren't coming along, but he stuck with it. The team stuck with him, and you look by the end of the year in Abu Dhabi, he was the guy that was that got Max back into that race and ultimately helped Max win the championship. So 
Checo, I think, staying with it. And, and this year, too, hasn't really even had an amazing year, but he's closer to Max. He's consistently there when Ferrari or Max aren't able to pick up a win. He's right there. He's picked up a ton of podiums. He's picked up a couple of wins on two wet street tracks, <laughs> of, of all things, in Monaco in the wet and Singapore in the wet. He's had two great drives there. And I think that's really all you want if you're Red Bull, right? You look at the formula with what Mercedes had. That's what Valtteri Bottas was. I mean, right after Nico Rosberg retired, just kind of be that wingman if you're Valtteri Bottas. Be the wingman, pick up wins here and there, but Lewis is going to be the guy. And that's what it was for Red Bull. Long tangent for Pierre Gasly, by the way, (laughs) all of a sudden. So Pierre Gasly didn't work out at Red Bull the first time. He gets sent back down to AlphaTauri. He was with Toro Rosso, what it used to be called, now at AlphaTauri. And I I think, you know, that's not really a long-term solution, right? You don't want to be at a sister team that you know is essentially going to be capped in terms of performance forever. It's a great spot for young drivers in that Red Bull Academy or young drivers, you know, at all to get in there like Yuki Tsunoda, like we're seeing with the other driver that we'll talk about in just a second that is now at AlphaTauri to replace Gasly. But I think Pierre really had this coming. You know, he had the resurgence in 2020 where he picks up the win in Monza and he was kind of riding the high. Last year was another good year for him. I think the team as a whole took a a couple steps back this year, which hasn't allowed him to be at the front as much as he'd like. But I think overall, he's still a really solid driver. And I think it's a huge get for Alpine to have two French drivers on a French team. And and don't forget they're a manufacturer. I mean, they might not be up there consistently with the likes of Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, but they're a manufacturer team. They're always third, fourth, fifth. They're right around there. They've had a strong couple of seasons. If they can start putting things together... I think they can definitely challenge, and they, we've seen they have challenged Mercedes a lot this year, even though Mercedes are ahead in the Constructors' Championship. Alpine's been right there with them, and even in Japan, they were right there with Lewis Hamilton and fighting with the Mercedes, so great look for Alpine, and I think it's a, a smart move for Pierre Gasly to go back. He's going to be well-received at that French team. Obviously, the relationship with Esteban Ocon has been widely talked about. They were friends when they were really young, and had a little bit of a falling out, you know, probably five, six years ago due to, who knows, off-the-track stuff. But now it seems like they're being professional about it. They're ready to work together, ready to rekindle the friendship as much as they can, if you will. And especially after how bad Alpine looked when they lose McLaren, or they lose Piastri to McLaren and they lose Alonso, you're thinking, what has just happened if you're Alpine? I mean, how do you let that happen? I think it's a great rebound for them to get Pierre Gasly, a really strong young driver, which uh, Otmar Safnauer mentioned was a really key point in signing Pierre Gasly. When you look at other drivers like Andy Ricardo, maybe on the market or some of the older guys, youth was really big for him. Now they have two younger drivers, if you will, and they're going to be set for the foreseeable future. If they get strong performances out of those guys, I mean, they're set. Two race winners, by the way. There aren't many of those on the grid these days, and you can say, yeah, whatever circumstances the race win happened under, and kind of you know, fluky wins, if you will, but hey, there's there's no such thing as a fluke. You got to be there at the end. Akon was getting chased down by Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel in Hungary. Pierre Gazzi was getting chased down by Carlos Sainz. They both maintained the the calm under pressure, and they both won the race. So two race winners for Alpine. Huge get for them, and, and a really smart move, I think, by Pierre Gasly as well. So with that move from Pierre Gasly, you look at who's replacing him, and it's Nick DeVries going to AlphaTauri. Now, this is an interesting move. Nick DeVries kind of in that Mercedes program, you know, a reserve driver for Mercedes. Uh, You know, he's been in that kind of realm. Even in Formula E, was with that Mercedes squad. And he now moves to the Red Bull side of things. He joins the dark side with Red Bull. And it's just a great spot for him again, too. And and Nick DeVries, 
look, he's not a, a really young driver, 27 years old, but he just hasn't really had the sh- chance to get into Formula One, right? I mean, you look at everything he's done, he, he's won in a lot of junior series, he goes and wins Formula E, and the seats just never really opened up for him, and Alex Albon, he's an appendectomy ahead of the Italian Grand Prix, and look who's there, it's Nick DeVries uh, in reserve for the Williams uh, Williams team, and he goes out and he has a great race, and he outscores Nicholas Latifi, or, you know, on the season, that is, he gets a couple points in, in Italy, which is way more than, you know, Nicholas Satifi could have dreamed of at that point. I mean, Nicholas Satifi didn't have any points up until that. Did able, was able to pick up a couple here recently. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, Nick DeVries has a really strong performance. He's hanging with the pack in Italy. And, and for being thrown into the car when you were just not expecting it for a team that you were not expecting to race for, I mean, it's really impressive for him to go out and at least just look normal, right? I mean, that's really all you can ask is go out there and just be amongst the the midfield at least and, and he did a great job of that he didn't crack under the pressure and I think that is where the experience comes in right he's had so much racing experience and that goes a long way and I think he's going to bring a lot of that to AlphaTauri it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic between him and Yuki Sonoda but I think it's a great spot for Nick DeVries any spot would have been great I think uh interesting that Williams didn't give him a deal though I wonder you know is that a move by Williams kind of just not having the money or not not wanting to put him in the seat um but AlphaTauri, i mean they come over and they and they snag a driver from the mercedes side of things and i think it's great for them so a uh, great job by them uh replacing pierre gasly and interesting that you know maybe one of those red bull juniors like liam lawson didn't get a look or you know one of those other guys down there in f2 but i don't think you can go wrong with nick devries and even if you're just giving him a year or two you got to give him a shot based on what you saw in italy i mean yeah it was one race but he looked like he fit right in. Like there was, it was so seamless for him to fit right in there and get in tune with the car, which is extremely hard to do. And props to him for that. And hey, it got him a seat for next year. So that's awesome to see. And of course, I mentioned that Williams seat. That means Nicholas Latifi. The news came out a few weeks ago. Nicholas Latifi is gone from Williams. He will have raced his final few races here by the end of 2022. And it's a sad sight to behold for, for the GOAT, Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> look, I mean, it's it's no secret he struggled in that car. I mean, obviously, you look at going up against George Russell the past couple of years, and that's a tough ask. Um, comes in in 2020 during the pandemic. Williams is hurting financially. He provides, you know, that kind of financial boost that they needed. Now so, especially with the budget cap, you know, it, it's – not as much of a need. They've gotten that Derelton funding that has come in for Williams. So things are looking a little better for them. And I think now they can stop sacrificing the performance for the money that they need. So interesting to see who gets that seat. Obviously, as an American, my boy Logan Sargent, I'm hoping he gets that last seat. That would be awesome to have an American driver on the grid. I think it would be incredible, especially three races in the U.S. next year. They're trying to really raise their presence here in the United States. I I think that would be awesome. So uh, and, and you look, again, I mentioned Yuki Sonoda. He obviously, he signs a contract extension to stay with Alpatari. Joe Guan Yu had a great rookie season. I mean, he has really fit in great at Alfa Romeo. He signs an extension to stay there. I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of thought, eh, is he a stopgap driver? You know, we have Teo Porcher, who seems like the guy that was destined for that Alfa Romeo seat. But, I mean, Joe Guan Yu has done nothing this year to really warrant taking him out of that seat. And I think it's a great job uh, or a great testament to him really coming in 
he had that pay driver moniker a little bit, but he is completely outperformed everyone's expectations and, and kudos to him. He's, he's had a great year and he fully, fully deserves to be in that seat again. So with that couple other things, I mean, Daniel Ricardo, where does this leave him? You know, you look at two seats left, one at Haas, one at Williams. It's rumored that that second seat at Haas is going to be down to either Nico Hulkenberg or Mick Schumacher. I personally, I mean, if you're going to go Nico Hulkenberg and Mick Schumacher, I would just keep Mick in the car. He's at least a young driver. You might have some potential to grow. I mean, he's shown some growth over the year that he's been in Formula One. And I get you might want some performance with Nico Hulkenberg, but I mean, I how much are you really getting there? How much are you benefiting? I think K-Mag kind of fills that veteran role nicely where he picks up points where where he can, but Haas kind of fell off since the start of the year. I mean, they had that, that huge performance in race one, and it's just kind of gone downhill. They're not terrible, but they're consistently out of the points, consistently out in Q2, Q1 sometimes even. So I, I just don't think they're strong enough to really warrant a, a switch to a guy like Nico Hulkenberg. I, I would keep the young driver in there. Especially, I mean, the name alone is going to bring you some some brand recognition there with the Schumacher name. So I'd keep Mick Schumacher, Schumacher in that seat. And yeah, again, too, with the whole, I mean, looking back at that whole Piastri and Alonso saga, it's really interesting to see, you know, Fernando Alonso, I said it at the time, he must really believe in that Aston Martin team. And they have some strong performances. It's kind of ironic. He was fighting with Sebastian Vettel for most of the Japanese Grand Prix, but Alpine seemed to be the place to be. But at the end of the day, if you're not, if you don't feel wanted, I mean, that, that's a huge chunk of, of the puzzle. It's a huge piece of the pie right there. You know, you have to be wanted. You have to feel wanted and feel like you belong there. And for a guy that he has nothing left to prove, I mean, he's a two-time champion. He's won tons of races. I think it's completely within his right to, to go to a place where he feels wanted and say, you know what, maybe I will try to rebuild this team and, and get some, something going for my last stage of my career. So We'll, we'll see how that goes for him. And, and obviously, over 40 years of age, but, I mean, he still seems to be in his prime at this point. I mean, he's driving insanely well, uh, consistently up there, if not better than Esteban Alcon on most weekends. And not much you can say about Fernando Alonso at this point. I mean, he, he's he's killing it. And so we'll see how that goes with him and Aston Martin. And obviously, Piastri, he better be good, man. Oscar Piastri better live up to the uh, expectations. I, I think he will. I think he's a great driver. He's won seems like every series he's been in, he obviously wins F3, wins F2. I mean, he's dominated his way into Formula 1. Probably not the circumstances that he'd like to join in, but I think he goes to a pretty solid team. He's going to have another good teammate, Lando Norris, to be kind of that barometer. We'll see how good he is. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to be really interested to see. I hope he does really well. Uh, it hurts me it hurts me to see Daniel Ricciardo out, but I, I'm still rooting for Oscar Piastri. I think it, it's going to be a good opportunity for him, and I think he's going to kill it in that McLaren. So, there's your driver driver market update. It's been a while, you know. We've had I've had a lot to go over here with the driver market, and uh, we're not done yet. Haas and Williams again, a couple seats left for, uh, up for grabs here. Only handful of races left, so decisions are going to have to be made soon. Um, we've seen some decisions made really late in the year. You know, we saw a couple years ago Checo going to Red Bull. That didn't get decided till essentially the end of the year. So, still some some things to be ironed out. Uh, again, Ricardo, we'll see. You know, he's taking this one year sabbatical and. He doesn't. He sounds like he was offered a chance to go to Formula E or IndyCar or somewhere to keep racing, at least by McLaren. And he just wants to remain solely focused on F1. And is that the best idea? I don't know. I mean, you look at. I understand if, and he did lose his seat under kind of 
iffy circumstances. You know, it seemed like he was kind of forced out of there. But he's not been performing well. I mean, straight up, he's not been performing that well. And it's hard to, you know, if a guy like Lewis Hamilton sitting on the sideline and he gets forced out of his seat, and you say, okay, we'll take a break and we'll bring you back because we know you can perform. But for a guy like Daniel where he hasn't been performing, it's kind of hard if you're one of these teams next year that has an open seat to say, "Ah, do we go with Daniel or there's this young kid out here that we can give a chance here and maybe we'll see if we can snag him for the, you know, for first part at least of his career and, and see if he can get some get some performance with him. So I hope it works out for Daniel. It's going to be really interesting to see, but it, right now it doesn't look great. Um, hopefully something happens in his favor soon, but kind of feels like what Nico Hulkenberg is going through. You know, maybe he'll take a reserve driver role. He'll pick up a couple races here and there if there's an injury or, or something happens. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting scene for Daniel Ricardo right now. So again, there's, there's the driver market update. A lot has happened since the last show. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Going to go over that, give some of my thoughts. And let's move to the other huge story that came out just this week, right after the Japanese Grand Prix, the cost cap infringements that came out for 2021. So, of course, we had Williams earlier in the year who had a procedural penalty. Aston Martin also picks up a procedural penalty now. So those are essentially, it means the team isn't over the cost cap. They filled out some forms incorrectly. It was kind of a paperwork thing. So, that one's not really serious at all. Aston Martin, of course, you don't want anything to, to go wrong or anything to happen, but they're going to be fine for that. I, you know, I doubt they get any serious reprimand or serious you know thing there. The big one is Red Bull. And while they didn't win the Constructors' Championship last year, we all know how close the Drivers' Championship was. And they were determined to go over the cost cap. It, it was a minor breach of the cost cap, which means it was less than 5%, which equates to about $7.25 million. So what a lot of the other teams were looking for was a material breach, which would have been over 5%, which would have been a really big deal because now you're seriously entering the territory of, yes, they should be ducted, deducted points at least from last year's championship. That's like a no-brainer. This is where it gets a little bit iffy. Under 5% here, there's a ton of ways that the FIA can deal with this. And you look at anything from a fine to a reprimand and to points deductions from the drivers or the constructors championship. Now, there's no punishment that's been laid out yet. We're still awaiting this. Uh, Red Bull, of course, have said that they feel they were within the cost cap. So they feel that they were within it. You know, it seems pretty cut and dry, right? Either you spent $145 million or pounds or, or you didn't, right? There's some technicalities in there where the top three earners and and any given team are not included. And there's loopholes and ways around that to pay some of those earners to, to kind of get around it. We, you know, F1 teams are going to find every single way they can to, to get out of a situation, right? And, and find any little advantage that they can. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, I would be shocked if they did anything to the driver's points to take away Max's championship. I mean, that whole finale in Abu Dhabi and everything following it was so shrouded in controversy. I I just don't think we can add more fuel to the fire here. I I will have to see what comes out, right? You know, were they, did they indeed, I mean, their FIA is saying they did indeed, you know, breach the cost cap. We'll have to see what the penalty is. If it's a constructor's penalty, it doesn't really matter. You know, they were pretty clear in second place that, you know, they're not going to probably lose a ton of points or, or enough points to at least drop down to third. Ah, man, it, it's just tough. I, I think 
Because on one hand, right, you want, I personally, I, I don't want the cost cap to become a thing like we see in, you know, like the NBA or whatever, where if you follow basketball, it, it becomes a luxury tax, right? You can go over, but you have to, to, you know, you get taxed more, you have to pay more, right? I would like it to be a, a cut and dry thing. You know, you are either over this un- number or you are under this number. And it's going to be a real precedent here. I mean, the cost cap was only implemented last year, and it's it's going to be a precedent to to see where they go with this. Because now if you're thinking, if you're a team, right, and they give you a, a fine or a reprimand, and it's not a deduction of points in the championship. So if you're Ferrari or Mercedes next year, you say, okay, well, you know what? Let's go, let's go 5% over. Let's, let's go 4.99% over. And let's try to get that extra performance out of our car. I mean, Mattia Bonato was saying that, you know, 5% could equate, you know, a few tenths on the car, you know, which, which is huge and upgrades. So if I'm them next year, I'll say, Hey, we'll go over a little bit and we'll just take the penalty. If the FIA decides here to, to give a small penalty, then we'll just take that and, and we'll try to get the championship on the track. I mean, I don't know what else you can do if you're one of the other teams, right? It's it's frustrating if Red Bull don't get a huge penalty, but then I think the precedent's been set. And then, you know, it, you can go to the FIA if, if you, uh, you know, commit a, a cost cap violation next year and say, hey, look, you only gave Red Bull a, a little reprimand here. We went over, just give us our reprimand, and we'll be on our way, right? So it, it's a tough it's a tough spot for for the FIA here because obviously you don't want to do anything – I don't believe, at least. I don't think you want to touch that championship. But at the same time, you need to set a precedent that this is a serious infringement. So it, it's it's a tricky situation. I think if the championship last year was like it is this year, and say Max or Lewis won by a hundred and some, you know, hundred fifty points, then I think the FIA comes down and they just give that point seduction. But it's such a tricky situation from last year that. I just don't know if you can. I don't know if you want to reopen that Pandora's box right now and go over all of that. It feels like we're just we're just now finally we got something else to talk about, right? Max is you know on his way and is the second champion or is the champion this year, which we'll talk about as well in a moment. Spoiler alert! But uh, you know, so we're trying to finally trying to get over this, and I don't I don't think we want to bring it all back. I just think that's a bad idea. So we'll see where the FIA goes. Obviously, not a lot of uh, fans of the FIA these days. doesn't seem like they can do anything right. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it, it's tough. Uh, like I said, I, I wish – I kind of wish last year now was just, you know, in a vacuum. I wish it was a 150-point win because then you can just take the points. You can set that precedent, and you don't have to affect anything else from last year. So we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, it's a tough decision. But with that – Let's move on to the actual racing that we had last week in Japan. It was, it felt like it was going to be Spa 2.0, right? So um, for those of you that didn't watch, we had a a wet start. Uh, a lot of the drivers were on inters, I believe, the first time. And and look, when you're watching on TV, and, and the commentators even said this, you know, when you're watching on TV, it, it doesn't look that bad. And they go to the grid, and they're driving to the grid, and everything kind of looks fine. And I think it was Jensen Button who said, yeah, it looks fine, but I'm looking at the the commentary box window and it looks like there's a bunch of rivers running along the track here. So it's really interesting, you know, how that it kind of looks fine, but you know, especially from their point of view being at the track, it just probably looked horrendous there. And we soon saw why. I mean, you get the start and immediately there's so much spray that drivers cannot see anything. I mean, I encourage you, 
go on YouTube, go somewhere and look up some of the onboards from that first start. I mean, I don't know how more people didn't crash, to be honest. I mean, there was that first incident. Sebastian Vettel, you know, he got a good start, and he was on the left-hand side of Fernando Alonso, kind of on the grass. And I think Seb, I mean, he can't see. So, you know, it's kind of hard to fault him there. He turns in for turn one, and he just turns right into Fernando Alonso. And I, I think he was kind of trying to guess where turn one is and maybe thinking Alonso would give him some space. I, I don't really think it's anyone's fault. It, it was just so little visibility. It was so hard to see. He turns into Alonso. He ends up spinning around. Alonso keeps going on. And, and then we get later in the lap, right after the hairpin, Carlos signs just, I mean, he goes to put the power down. Not even really hard. I mean, he just kind of lightly taps it because he's going on that, you know, straightaway that is, I believe, turn 12. And he just spins right out into the barriers. And that was a hard crash for him. Thankfully, he was okay. Nothing happened. We saw a couple other spins. I think Joe Guan Yu had a spin around at that at that hairpin. There was a lot of action there, kind of in the back part of the field. And it was just a mess. So right away, they red flagged the race. And it, right decision. Uh, just so much spray. They are going to clean up Carlos Sainz's incident. And um, an interesting thing happens then. So Pierre Gasly, I believe it was from Sainz's incident. Pierre Gasly is driving, and he had started from the pit lane. He's in the back. He collects one of the signage boards. So I think it was one of the Rolex boards that you kind of see, you know, pasted along the side of the track. I think signs hit the wall, board came off, and Gasly just picks it up on the front of his front wing, and it kind of damages his front wing. So he comes in, and he comes in for a pit stop, change the tires. They put a new front wing on. And there was a little bit of a period for before they threw that red flag where it was a safety car. And so Gasly, you know, He's going around, as you normally do under safety car conditions, and he's going around, you know, he's going fast to try to catch up to the safety car queue. At no point does his team or does the FIA say, hey, slow down, you're going too fast. I mean, we often see that, you know, drivers speed up to catch the queue when they can, and it's no problem. Obviously, the conditions were very bad, and it was really wet, and Carlos Sainz was still on the tracks. Some people are, you know, saying, hey, maybe you should have been going slower, the real problem comes in where Pierre Gasly comes out of the hairpin and he's approaching where Carlos Sainz crashed. And the FIA and the marshals have sent out a tractor, which is normal to at least retrieve cars, right? If there's a car, if there's a crashed car, a tractor has to come onto the track. You, know, you always see them pick it up and they wheel it off. The problem here is that this particular section of Japan is very thin. There's not a lot of, you know, run off on the right or the left it's just, it's normally a straightaway right essentially it's a curved straightaway if you will in the dry it's not really even a corner for these f1 cars they it, it, you know you just turn a little bit and you're full flat out the tractor is on the track while pierre gasly is going around while the whole field's going around by the way the field is it's just past this they're in the you know the first part of the track and the safety cars pick them up at this point but gasly is obviously trying to catch up so he's going around the opposite side of the track the other half the tractor is on the track, and Gasly flies by it. He has no idea this tractor's here. He can barely see anything, because even without the spray, it's still raining. The lights are not that bright on the tractor. I mean, he flies by the tractor, and immediately on the radio, he, you know, what the hell? You know, he, he is incensed, and he should be, right? What are you doing if you're the FIA sending a tractor out there? I mean, if you're going to do that, first of all, you need to immediately inform every single team and driver that is on the track. Even then, you, uh, the red flag is coming out momentarily, right? 
if you're planning to throw the red flag in 30 seconds or a minute, just wait to put the tractor on the track. It doesn't make any sense, right? So science crashes, safety car comes out, you send the tractor on, cars are still going around. What are you thinking? When you look at Pierre Gasly's onboard, right? And all drivers when they're driving, they have the steer electronic steering wheel. It comes up on their screen when the red flag comes up. You know, there's a big red flashing indicator on their screen. And there's also the lights on, on the track that indicate there's a red flag. The red flag came out about literally two seconds before he passed that tractor. So he is still thinking in his mind, I got to catch up to the safety car queue. Let me get up there. And he goes from blind to boom, there's a tractor right in front of him. And thankfully he was on the right side of the track. Signs had crashed out on the left side of the track. He didn't have to swerve out of its way or anything. The line he was going on, he just drove right past it. But that's not the point. The point is that why is that tractor there? Now, some of you may not know, in 2014, eerily similar situation, at the Japanese Grand Prix, in a wet race, there was an incident. And a tractor, this time it was off the track, right? It wasn't even on the track. It was in a runoff area where a car had gone off. There's a car that's gone off. The tractor comes on to pick up the car. Well, it's still wet conditions. Cars are still going on the track. And Jules Bianchi, the former Marussia driver, I believe at the time, loses control of his car and his car with, without the halo, mind you, this is 2014. His car goes right under the tractor. And of course, what do you think hits first? His head hits first and it eventually kills him. That's the last Formula One driver to die during a race, right? This has been heavy on the minds of Formula One since it's happened, it's been a focal point. It's been used as an example of safety. And the fact that all this time later, you, at the same track, in the same conditions, in the same way, endanger another driver is just mind-boggling to me. And the FIA have the audacity to go out there and say, and they, they, get, they gave Pierre Gaslick a penalty for speeding past the tractor under safety car conditions. First of all, that's normal. You're allowed to go the speed. You know, drivers are going to go the speed that they're allowed to go. They're, they're, why, why would they slow down if they don't have to, right? It's all about keeping their tires warm, you know, keeping everything up to temperature, you know, making sure you're all good. He should not have to worry about that. And, and a lot of the, the messaging on the broadcast, which thankfully got some pushback by some of the other pundits there, was that, oh, you know, he this is, is Gasly's fault because he's going too fast. He knew signs was in that area, crashed. He should have slowed down. What is he supposed to expect? All he knows is that Carlos Sainz crashed out on that part of the track. He passed Carlos once. He knew where Carlos's car was. So as far as he's concerned, he's thinking, okay, Carlos's car is away, on the at least on the left side of the track, right? If I go on the right side, I'm clear, I'm good. You should not have to worry about a tractor there. And, and Pierre was right, and nobody had seen it, right? You know, we're going through the safety car, going through the red flag, and then they just kind of cut to, once the drivers get back in the garage, they cut to Pierre Gasly, and he is just fuming in his garage. He's yelling and screaming, and you're like, what, you know, why is he so mad? You know, it's just a red flag. And then they go back and show it, and it's just, it's like, oh my God, I mean, how do you make this mistake again? And they even show, because the entire field, eventually, you know, they're under safety car, they had called that red flag while they were on a lap, so they had to come all the way back around and then go into the pits. The entire field passes this tractor. It's like, Nobody knows it's there. You know, of course, you're all going to follow the safety car, right? But all it takes is one driver to think, you know, I'm just going to weave, you know, uh, you know, 
they're going into the pits. But if they want to warm up their tires, if they want to just, you know, get out of the spray of the car in front of them, they go to the left a little bit, there's a tractor right there waiting for them. It's absolutely insane. I don't know what the FIA is thinking. And first of all, you know, they want to say, oh, oh, he was going too fast, which endangered, you know, himself and the marshals and all this. I don't care what speed you crash into a tractor. Okay, he was going, I don't know, he was going 120 miles an hour. If he was going 30 miles an hour and he crashed into that tractor, it would have been extremely dangerous and life-threatening. It doesn't matter how fast he's going. You put a damn tractor on the track with a Formula One car in a wet condition, you know, in wet conditions, in a wet race, bad things can definitely happen. And they have happened. And we've saw that. Just what I alluded to just eight years ago. This isn't 30, 40 years ago. This is eight years ago. And even Jules Bianchi's father was on social media. He said, this is a disrespect to my son, to the safety of the drivers. And he was fuming, and rightly so. I mean, we see all of the technical innovations that all motorsports have made over the years. And just when you start thinking, okay, we got the halo, you know, we're we're implementing things, especially after Roman Grosjean's crash, to, you know, make sure that the fuel tanks don't explode on impact. And you implement all these things, and it just, to have a, just a brain fart or, you know, just make a, a, such a bad judgment in that moment to put the tractor on, on the course is just, I don't understand it. And to, I think the real thing, it, the fact that they penalized Gasly too, is it's still mind blowing to me. Like, how are you going to blame the driver in this situation? First of all, there was nobody from the FIA that said to the team that there's a tractor. So now the team doesn't know there's a tractor and they can't even inform Pierre that there's a tractor, which that's maybe another thing, right? If, if he was at least informed and they said, Hey, coming out of the hairpin, slow down. There's a tractor, right? You shouldn't even have to worry about that, but you know, that that's at least a little better right now that he knows he has no idea. And all it takes is just one random moment where he, maybe he's a little to the left just for whatever reason. And boom, now he's into the tractor and now he could be dead. And, I think you saw that emotion on his face and from all the drivers and came out too that I believe it was Alex Albon's post-race interview talking about Sebastian Vettel brought this up in Singapore. So the drivers have raised this question in Singapore when there was a um, a car that needed to be taken off the track. And now it's like, you know, how a week later, you don't even, li- <laughs> excuse me, you don't even listen. It's just incredible. And it was also a weird sight. You think back to Italy, right? One of the races that I, you know, kind of touched on earlier. In that race, Daniel Ricciardo's engine blows out you know, five, ten laps to the end. I think it was the reason that, that the end wide ended under a safety car. And, you know, there's a tractor on the tra- on, on the side of the track in the grass, and they're under VSC, and they're just kind of going, which means they're not fully slowed down like the safety car. They're still going pretty fast, and even that felt uncomfortable, right, where it's completely dry. Everybody, you know, kind of knows it's there. But even then, you just don't ever want to see it. And I think Martin Brundle, even on social media, he wasn't commentating the race, but on social media, he he just said, you never, ever want to see a tractor on the track at the same time as a Formula One car. And I think that was exactly what David Croft brought up on the broadcast when, you know, he thought back to that day. Of course, he was commentating that day that Bianchi passed, passed away or the accident that eventually killed him. And he was saying, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me is Martin Brundle saying that, that there should never, ever be a tractor on the course at the same time. So just just an awful scene. I mean, we're not even into the actual racing yet. This is two laps into the race and under a safety car, and all this has happened. We have all this to talk about now, and then we get 
essentially a two and a half hour rain delay, you know, or two hour rain delay. And we're all kind of sitting here waiting and it, it really felt like spa again. I thought, I did not think they were going to restart the race. I'm glad they did, but I really didn't think so. And I, I get the three hour window that they have where they try to, you know, they make it a little nicer for the TV, you know, uh, the TV stations to where they don't have to worry about coverage for other things later on in the day. Cause formula one's taking up too much time. I don't think four hours that the the timer that they had, the four hours that they had was too bad. And if, if you're not familiar, essentially they have a three hour window set from the time the race starts until the last lap or, or is finished or whatever. So they start the race and the three hour timer starts. They go to a red flag, the race stops, that three hour timer continues and they have to finish that race within that three hour window. So it became very clear that once we're down to an hour 15, an hour to go, 50 minutes to go, you know, they're it became pretty clear that, okay, we're not going to get this full race distance in, which is why they ended up, they, they had to just go a straight timed ending, which we saw, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in the year as well. So at Monaco, with kind of the timed ending, you know, the race was taking too long, so it has to fit into that three-hour window. So instead of running the remaining laps, we're just going to run until the time runs out. That's what happened in Japan. They changed the rule in 2020 to where that window used to be four hours, and now it's down to three I don't know why, you know, I still think four is just a good number. You look at, you know, I watch a lot of NASCAR, NASCAR, you know, and, and granted, schedules are different. Traveling within the United States is obviously a lot easier logistically. And all the teams are based in the United States, and, and the schedule's a little better. But they'll race on a Monday, they'll push it back to Sunday, you know, they'll do whatever to get the race in. And, and so kind of how F1 used to be, the reason this was implemented was because a race in Canada in 2011 that took about a bajillion hours. They took like eight hours to finish the race because there was just so many rain delays. Um, but yeah, I think four hours would would suffice there. And, and you start to run into the issue of darkness, right? There's not many lights at Singapore, and these cars don't have headlights. They're Formula One cars, so you can't race in the dark. But I think you implement the four-hour window, start the race a little earlier if, earlier if you're worried about those types of things. If you see the weather forecast coming in, Say, hey, we're going to push it ahead a little bit to avoid that. And I think you'll be set. But, yeah, so that was that was a huge thing. And so let's talk about, too, when they get back out onto the track, right? They The, the weird thing about Formula One is that they, they just send the safety car out to run laps around the track to determine whether it's good enough to race. The thing they don't take into account is the safety car doesn't produce spray in the back, right? These Formula One cars... It's essentially like looking at what they would be in a wind tunnel, right? They suck to the ground, and when they're driving along, the water sprays out the back of the car, and it just makes it completely, you know, the conditions are just completely horrible. You can't see anything. There's zero visibility. So when these cars start spraying out the back, you don't get that simulation with the safety car. And I think there was a good suggestion today that came out and said, you know, they're looking into something called, int- um, I think it was introduction laps or, or information laps. That's what it was, information laps. And I think it's a great idea where essentially you just do, you send the cars out. If you, if you think, okay, it's about time we're going to race, you know, we want to see how the conditions are, send the cars out and see what it's like, you know, have them go a little bit up to speed, maybe under like safety car or VSC conditions and just see what the spray is like, right? Because at the end of the day, the grip didn't seem to be an issue for a lot of those guys, it was the spray. Nobody could see. So if you can go out and simulate what the spray is going to be like, you can determine when the best time to restart the race is. So I think that's an easy call there. I think they should definitely implement that. 
we don't get a ton of wet races, but when we do, I think that's a huge thing, right? Because you don't want to waste an extra 10 to 15 minutes thinking or waiting for the rain to end when you can at least send the cars out for these information laps. And then if you think it's ready, you save yourself some time, you save yourself some laps, and we get more racing into the end of the day. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And another thing I want to touch on, too, is this. <laughs> there's been so many memes on it, but the wet tires. What purpose do the wet tires in Formula One serve? I, it, They're never, I mean, so they were mandated after the safety car restart the second time when we got the, the actual restart that we used till the end of the race. They're mandated for safety reasons, right? But the drivers get onto the wet tires and... Number one, they collect and spray more water. So now the <laughs> the visibility is even worse. But they also have, like, they have no grip. So within, like, four or five laps, these drivers are, they're done. They're, they're like, I don't want these tires anymore. I'm just going to go on to the inters because they're good enough. And we saw even a couple guys, I, I think, was it Vettel, Latifi, like, Norris, they all came in for early pit stops right after that safety car period. And they immediately switched off, to the, uh, off the wet tires onto the intermediates. Everybody probably would have if it wasn't for thinking about giving up track position. I mean, they didn't even have to be on the wet. So I, I don't know what purpose they serve. You know, at, at one point, too, it's like we have all these rain delays, but it's never really for the rain, is it, right? I mean, very few times, I feel like, recently, have we actually had to use wet tires. I mean, think of the last F1 race that has been a wet start that hasn't either right away been on intermediate tires or gone to intermediates very soon, right? And unless it's you know, a downpour, which they don't even race in anyway. So I, I, it's just like this constant loop of like, I don't know why they exist, right? Because <laughs> if it's too wet, they're not going to send the cars out because there's too much spray. But once it's good, they force the drivers onto the wet tires, which produce more spray and have no grip and people just switch off them anyway. So it's this whole, it's, that, that's a, that can be an entire podcast in and of itself there, but yeah, I feel like they have to try to do something with the wet tires to make them viable in some capacity because the enters just seem to be the way to go and it's going to be the choice for every driver. So let's, let's finally, finally get into some racing talk here. Not much to talk about at the front for being honest, right? Max Verstappen, he starts, restarts in first. And he absolutely checks out. I mean, he he builds a lead on Charles Leclerc. Again, no DRS in the wet. So he just, I mean, you see the lead building. It's two, three, then it's five, then it's 10, then it's 15, 20 seconds. You're like, oh my God. Like, I believe the race restarted with about 45 minutes to go. So we had a 45-minute sprint race, if you want to call it. And he won by 30 seconds. Like, I, I don't know how he did it. He, he was so calm and collected out there. He was in a league of his own. And it was incredible to watch. Charles Leclerc had his hands full, and he was getting chased down by Sergio Perez. And Leclerc looked pretty good, but he really started to fall off. And, and the Ferrari lately has really been destroying their tires, right? I mean, those those wets fell off real quick. He got onto the inters, and those inters just—I mean, they like they just died on Leclerc at the end of the race. He really was struggling to keep Checo behind. Checo, we'll come back to this one at the end. Checo ends up getting the better of him there, but. That has some tie-ins to the end, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Two other battles I want to talk about, though. Lewis and Ocon. Lewis was really trying to get past Esteban Ocon for a lot of that stint at the end of the race. Probably the last 20 to 25 minutes, and every time they would get out a spoon and come towards 130R, he would have a look, then he'd have a look towards a chicane, and then he'd try it down into turn one, and, and he was just never close enough, really, to make that lunge that he needed to make to get Ocon, and 
props to Akon. He, he ran a great race. Lewis tried just about every different exit and strategy that he could to get past him, but just perfect car placement. And I think the, the Mercedes just lacked a lot of straight line speed. We know the Alpine's been good there this year in straight line speed, and he just had a really draggy car, Lewis Hamilton. I think they even took a couple points of downforce off the car to try to make it less draggy, but still just wasn't fast enough in the straights for him. And then the huge battle between Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso, that was the one that I started watching personally. You know, I was they had uh, Fernando Alonso had his helmet cam on, so I was like, oh, you know, I'll go watch the onboard I through F1 TV that I have. I was watching Alonso's on board, and then I'm like, wait a minute, he's he's just ahead of Seb, so I, I or just behind Seb rather, so I I flipped Seb's on board onto, and I kind of watched that battle towards the end, and that got insane. And and if you didn't catch the race, I mean Sebastian Vettel, so essentially the last lap of the race, Alonso trying to make his move down, they get past 130 r the final little kink there. He makes his move into the chicane for the first time. You know he, he makes that lunge down into the chicane. Vettel fights it off nicely. They they kind of go through even into the chicane, and there's just a drag race to the line, and, and Seb just had a little more grip, and he beat him by about a hundredth of a second. It was extremely close, and it was just awesome to watch. And I mean, it, I feel like there was so much to show at the end. The TV direction was a little all over the place. They didn't know whether to show Max, who I don't think they even picked up Max until he was like down near turn one. They didn't recognize that he even won the race because they were focused on the Charles Leclerc battle and, and, and the Alonzo battle, so... So much went on there, and looking towards that Leclerc and, and Perez battle. Last lap of the race. This is where things start to get really funny. Last lap of the race, last corner, last into the chicane, right? Leclerc has been holding off Perez this whole time. He locks up into the chicane, goes onto the grass, the turf I think they have in Japan. He goes onto that, goes wide, just completely cuts the second part of the chicane, rejoins right ahead of Sergio Perez and beats him to the line and immediately clear cut like he deserved a penalty I think he knew it I think Checo knew it everyone knew it and he did end up getting a penalty and he finished five he had a five second penalty he finished in third place so it was Max first Checo second and Leclerc third and and one more thing before I get into Max and and kind of what happened at the end there the rule when there's a timed race right it's the leader's final lap plus one you know, when the time runs out, plus one. So if, say, Max was in turn five, he's in the middle of the lap, right? And that timer goes to zero. Well, he gets to finish that lap, and then it's plus one, right? He gets one more lap to go around, and that's the end of the race. They didn't show it, and I haven't gotten back to look yet, but when they had showed Max toward the end of his lap, right? I think he was coming out of Spoon, which was one of the last few corners in Japan, he was going down the final back stretch. There was about 30 seconds left. And that section only takes about, you know, maybe 20 seconds to finish. So he got to the line with about five seconds left on the timer, which means he should have, the, the timer should have ran out and he should, would have essentially done about two full laps, right? He would have finished that lap that he just started and then he would have done another one because it's plus one because he was on that lap already. They just called the race right there. They're like, okay. I, and I think he crossed the line, and they're just like, yep, the race ends on this lap, which uh, Charles Leclerc brought that up too, and I think he was confused, and nobody really knew what the end was. They got it squared away you know, at the end, but I think everyone was confused, right? And it was, it was some issues. I remember when they played Max's post-race uh, radio or right when he crossed the line, they were saying to Max, like, you know, keep pushing. We're, you know, we're making sure. We're, we're pretty sure it's the end, but just keep pushing. And 
if you look on the onboards, I, I I was looking through the onboards and Alonso and Seb just like kept battling. They were in like they were like halfway through that cooldown lap and they were still battling because they were full speed. And I think Alonso even said, he's like, yeah, you know, I saw him in front, so I just kept going and we both just kept chasing each other because we didn't, you know, we didn't want to risk it at all. And they were passing other slow cars too, and they're they're probably thinking what the hell's going on. But yeah, they got that squared away at the end. That was just another thing that FIA I don't think got right, which was really confusing and, and bad. But to perhaps one of the most confusing and bad things, I don't think anything can beat the tractor incident, but at the end, so <laughs> where do we even begin here? I tweeted out this was, I mean, it was legitimately one of the funniest like 10 to 15 minutes of sports I've ever watched because it was just, it was such a conundrum from watching it to checking social media to going back and trying to figure everything out. It, it was absolutely hilarious. So the entire race, we are being told by the commentators that, hey, obviously this isn't a full race. It's 40 something minutes long. We're not going to get every lap in. We were being told consistently, hey, if the race is under 25% completed, it's this many points awarded. It's partial points. If it's between 25 and 50, it's this amount of partial points. If it's between 50 and 75, it's this amount of partial points, right? And we had been, that graphic had come up so many times during the race. And that was what we all led to believe, right? So, you know, Crofty's doing a good job. We, we don't see the lap counter, right? We just see that timer on the top of the screen. So they have a track of the lap, and it, it, maybe if you go into like a data channel or something, you can find out which lap it is. But he's keeping updates on the laps coming. And by the end of the race, he's saying, okay, it's going to end in, I think he said the 50 to 75 range. I think we had just gotten over the 50% mark, and it was going to be that amount of partial points, you know, what 75% points or whatever it was. So race finishes. And we've been told all race that, hey, if it's partial points in any capacity, Max, he cannot win the championship. Max had, coming in, he had to beat Charles Leclerc by six points and Sergio Perez by eight points. I might have got that in the wrong way. I think it was the other way around. He had to, he had to beat Charles Leclerc by eight and Checo by six. So yeah, that's what it was. He had to beat Charles Leclerc by eight points because Charles, I believe, was in second and Sergio Perez by six. With the partial points, he was not able to do that. So then, you know, we get to the podium, right? And this is where the Charles penalty comes in. So we're thinking, okay, Charles is within X amount of points, right? Because he's second. Now he drops down to third. No big deal. You know, obviously it's going to make Max's championship, you know, even closer to clinching. But, you know, he'll have to wait till Austin, which is the next race here in about a week or so. Well, what we then come to find out as the commentator, the post-race interviewer, Johnny Herbert, sitting there. They interview Max for the post-race. You know, they go over, you know, hey, you didn't win the championship, you know, but it's a really strong race. And he kind of has his usual stuff. You know, yeah, you know, well, it was a really good weekend, but, you know, we're just fo we'll focus on next weekend, whatever. I believe they were mid-interview with Checo. I don't even think they got to Charles yet. I can't remember. I think it was Checo, and they're interviewing him. They're asking about the race, and they say, oh, you know, about that Charles penalty too. And then Herbert must've gotten something in his ear where he's like, Hey, he calls back Max Verstappen and he's like, Max, you know, Hey, come back here, which this means something here. And we're all thinking, you know, what, what's going on here? And I'm, I'm checking social media too. And everyone's, everyone's talking about how, wait, you know, what, what's he about to do? Max isn't the champion. Everyone's, you know, confirmed on that. And he brings Max up and he says, well, with Charles Leclerc's penalty, Max, you're the champion. And it was just as simple as that. There wasn't any grand celebration. Herbert, he's just like, yep, you're the champion. Max is like, 
I, I am. <laughs> he just kind of looked around. He's like, cool. And they, you know, they, I think they, you know, they ask him and he said a couple lines and they go right back to Checo. And then you see Max celebrating with the team. And, and it was just one of the funniest things ever because everyone on social media and everyone there were just all like, wait, 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 wait. Like, no, like no way they just got this wrong. This championship announcement, like this, we're all cringing at the moment thinking that Max is celebrating a championship. He hasn't won yet. Then we get to the cool down room, right? And in the cool down room, you know, we can hear the audio for the drivers after, you know, they, they watch some of the highlights and stuff. Max walks into the cool down room. He's like, ah, oh, champion, not champion. Ah, oh, who knows, right? He's sitting down. Him and Checo start watching some of the, you know, the highlights there. And he puts on his his cap for the podium celebration. And somebody, I don't even know who it was, somebody walks in and says, yeah, you're the champion. And he gives them a look like, okay, we've been through this before. And he says, are you sure? He's like, are you sure I'm the champion? They're like, yeah, yeah, you're the champion. Puts on the world championship hat. They have a little room with a throne set up for him where he gets to watch some of his highlights. And he just sits there and he's, he's the champion all of a sudden. And everyone, we're all losing our collective minds because we have been told all day long that there's partial points and there's no champion. So now we, as the fans, are sitting here under the assumption that they have just essentially given this championship to Max or so many people have messed up in their calculations that this is everyone is really stupid at the track and they've all just messed up. What turns out is that there is a... I don't know why the FIA is like this. There is a rule that states, right, if a race is stopped and it cannot be restarted, Spa last year, if it's stopped and it cannot be restarted, you have to award partial points. That's, you know, obvious. If you start the race, you get 50% of the way in partial points. The caveat is that if it's stopped and it is restarted, no matter how many laps you do after the restart, because, I mean, according to what the the rule says, there's no specification. So you could technically run a three-lap race, stop it, restart it as another three-lap race. They are, the FIA is allowed to give full points for the race, and that's what they did. They gave full points for the race, even though everybody watching and everybody at the track thought it was partial points. They just showed up, and they're like, yeah, you know, full points, we're good, which makes no sense at all. I... I <laughs> I don't understand, just optics-wise, it's like, yeah, okay, that maybe that rule is there, but there's also such a clear-cut and easy way to do this where we finish 75% of the race, so let's just give out, you know, what, 75% of the points or whatever, you know? It was incredible to watch. I, I think it was hilarious because we all went from cringing to losing our minds, and, of course, you got the people on Twitter saying he's another fraudulent champion or whatever. He's going to win anyway. Spoiler alert. I, th I think he had this one in the bag, guys. But it, just watching everyone lose their minds and then come back and realizing that it's a small technicality. I think Chris Medlin, the F1 reporter, was one of the first ones to post it. You know, just small little technicality in the rules saying, oh, well, if they restart it, they can just give full points, which, yeah, which ironically last year, too, in Abu Dhabi was kind of what they ended up, what, what the rules ended up saying, right? It was like, well, Michael Massey has these procedures as race director he should follow, but it's ultimately up to the race director to do whatever he wants, which... You're just like, okay, well, then I guess we can't do anything because you just basically gave them free reign to do whatever they want. So it just hilarious. Um, Max definitely deserves a championship. There's no no fraudulent things here. I mean, last year with Abu Dhabi and now the cost cap, it's, who knows, it, that's always going to be debated, especially with Lewis Hamilton being on the other end of that, chasing his eighth championship. 
it's this this one was locked in. I'm pretty sure it would have taken Max would have had to like not finish every single race, and Charles would have had to probably win every single race here to the end, which wasn't going to happen. So very deserved champion for for Max Verstappen this year. Twelve wins on the year, by the way. Needs one more win to tie the most all time. Schumacher had 13 in 04. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, when he had that nine race win streak in 2013, he had 13 wins. So I don't know. We got about five or six races left, I believe. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to get to. I mean, I would not be shocked if he got to 14, 15 wins. You know, you look at some of the tracks coming up. Obviously, Austin last year. I was fortunate enough to be at that race. He he ended up winning that race, and he had a great drive there. He won in Abu Dhabi. He's a two-time defending Abu Dhabi Grand Prix winner. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for him to pick up a win or two here in in the in the future, and I would not be shocked at all if statistically this goes down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, season of Formula One history because he he has just been on it from race one. Uh, and Ferrari were strong in the early part of the year. They've thrown away a ton of points, but I think lately you can agree that no matter what Ferrari threw at them, like he he was going to be the champion, and he he's just dominated this season. So, with all of that out of the way, I think that was it was an insane Japanese Grand Prix. It was great for me, first of all, because I got to I didn't have to wake up at five a.m. to watch a race for once, like everyone else. And sorry to the Australians out there, but. Uh, it was like 10 o'clock at night race for me. So it was Saturday night little race there. So that was fun, even with the, the rain delay. But there was <laughs> just so much going on. Max Verstappen, two-time champion. Red Bull clearly ahead in the constructors right now. I mean, I'll pull it up. Of course, Max right now, 113 points ahead of Sergio Perez. Don't need to even get into that because he's already the champion. And then you look at Red Bull right now. They are almost 170 points, 165 points ahead of Ferrari in that uh, Constructors Championship. Of course, Constructors, you get points for both drivers, so you can pick up a, a pretty huge haul of points on any given weekend. Not completely over yet, but I would expect them to uh, to clinch that pretty soon, Red Bull. And yeah, I mean, looking at looking down the Constructors list, looking at some of the closer battles, I mean, you look at Mercedes, they've they're clear in third with 387 points. I think that Alpine-McLaren battles got really interesting because... You know, we looked at what happened in Singapore. Both the Alpines didn't finish. McLaren had a really good fifth and sixth, you know, finish in Singapore. Alpine kind of hit back at him this weekend, had a strong finish. And McLaren, 13 points behind Alpine right now. That's a close one to watch as, uh, you know, we come down to the tail end here. And then it's a huge drop down to six. Alfa Romeo with 52. But it, it gets really close there from six to nine. Alfa Romeo, 52. Aston Martin, 45. That's one to watch. And then Haas and Alpatari tied at 34 points apiece. So, I mean, reasonably, both of those teams, if they have a good weekend, could end up with sixth. I don't think sixth is any is clinched by any means. But definitely that 8-9 battle, too, is one to watch with both those teams tied. And it'll be interesting to see you know, kind of where that ends up. So, with that, huge, mega episode as, as I come back here. It's been a while. Hoping to be more consistent with these uploads now. The next race, my home country of the United States of America down in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to previewing that one. That'll be the Sunday after next. So next, next Sunday, that weekend's going to be awesome. That track was awesome last year to go down to. It's very hot in Austin. I'm used to the heat. I'm here in Vegas though, but it was a different kind of heat down there in Austin. It was, it was pretty rough, but, uh, hopefully it's a little, uh, cooler for the attendees this year for the drivers. I know, remember Checo didn't have his water bottle attached. I don't know how he did it last year. He finished on the podium too, but, uh, hopefully some more great racing, obviously not going to be, 
the title battle that it was coming into Austin last year when it was still undecided between Max and Lewis and everyone was kind of on the edge of their seats. But it's going to be a fun race. It's a great track, and especially, you know, you know we'll, see, we'll see who comes out on top. I'd expect Max Verstappen to kind of be there. Uh, you know, we'll go through all that in the, in the preview episode, but I, I think Max, now that the win streak's over, you know, sometimes you get the, the pressure taken off a little bit, and I think uh, he'll be back to his winning ways even more pretty soon. I mean, obviously he wins Japan by... Uh, you know, 30 seconds plus. So I, I think he might be on to start another streak here. Red Bull haven't lost a race since the, the summer break. So they're clearly in front. Every other team just kind of chasing behind and we're getting into the, the tail end of this 2022 season. It's been a fun one. It's, it's been even with Max's dominance and Red Bull's dominance, it's been a lot of storylines. It's been fun to cover and we'll be back soon with the, uh, the preview for the good old United States GP in, in a couple of weeks time. So as, as I said, Hit the subscribe button, like the video. I hate to be a typical, you know, a content creator. Social's down here if you want to give me a follow there to, to keep up with me. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.